Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Today's scripture is from Acts 2. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to the rest of each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who lived in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken by the prophet Jewel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will be, will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and bellows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and, and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. I want to share with you like, as a starting point about a book I read a handful of, um, maybe a year, year and a half ago called The Power of Us. I picked it up really in the bookstore. I just kind of grabbed it. I thought the, the title kind of grabbed me. And, and it's a book about identity, us, but it's about shared identity, social identity, and how the identities we have kind of connect us with one another. I love this quote that they have within the book that we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. In other words, our identity shapes everything about how we see and interact with the world. And so they begin with an exercise, which you can try this later sometime when you get home, pull out a scratch sheet of paper, write I am 20 times, and then complete the sentence. I am, I am. 
am, I am, I am. If you do that, and the the authors kind of suggest when you do this exercise, do it as quickly as you can, free form, just filling in as fast as you go. But when you finish kind of writing I am and you look at the list, generally your answers will go into three different categories. One category might be traits, that that I'm smart or I'm funny or I'm outgoing or organized or, or, you know, I have like Stuart Smiley, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and God darn it, people like me. Like that's, you know, the, the, the traits, right? And then the relationships are like, you might list, well, I'm a dad. You know, that I am a son, I'm a husband, I'm a brother, or, you know, like that's something, you know, who you are in relationship to others. Or the last category of things that you might list is, I am, you know, you, you belong to some kind of group. It might be your occupation. I am a pastor, or a teacher, or a doctor, or a lawyer. Or it might be, you know, where you live, that I am a Hoosier, or a volunteer. I still, I've lived here 18 years, and I still can't quite get to saying I am a Hoosier. I don't know if I'll ever kind of claim that. But anyways, like wherever you grew up, or, or it could be like what your favorite team is, that I'm a Colts fan, or a Dodgers fan, or whatever it might be, or, or, or even kind of your political affiliation. All those are groups to which we might might belong. And their point is, is that each of us has an identity, but that identity is, they they kind of compare it to a gym with lots of different facets to it. That depending on how you twist and turn the gym, which identity gets activated, it kind of shapes who we are and how we connect and identify with others. And this is a good thing, they say, because these shared identities connect us with other people. That we might have no connection, like I might not know anyone at all, but as soon as I learn they're a pastor, I'm like, oh, we have something in common, we connect. Or if I find out they're a dad or fan of a certain team or a graduate of, of a university that I went to or that I cheer for, like you know, instantly there's a, a bond that connects us. These are our shared identities. And what's interesting about them is the way these shared identities you know, both connect and repel at the same time. So, like for instance, if I say I was a Disney fan, some people in here would be like, yeah, I'm a connection, like that could be a point. And for others, it's like repellent, right? So the example they give is uh, in England uh, that there is uh, a test done, uh, the, a psychological test with fans of Manchester United, the, the famous soccer football club, right? And, and the way the, the test went was like this. They gathered fans of this club and they spent some time interviewing them. And the interviews were designed to activate their fandom for Manchester United. Like all the great things, all the reasons they love this team and what makes it the best team in the world, right? And so as they're going through these interviews, at some point they say, <clears throat> we have to move you to another building to finish our interviews. And as they're going from one building to the next, they had planted someone who would walk across their path, would trip and fall, twist their ankle, holding it, crying out in pain. And this is the twist of the interview is that half the time the person that fell would be wearing a Manchester United jersey. The other half of the time they would be wearing a Liverpool jersey, which was their most hated rival. Okay? So after they activate this identity, then they have this person come across them. And 92% of the time, if the person was wearing a Manchester United jersey, the person would stop and offer some kind of comfort or aid to the person who was hurt. However, if that person was wearing a Liverpool jersey, the percentage dropped all the way down to 30%. That's a pretty big gap, 92%, 30%, just depending on what jersey the person was wearing. 
But here's what they did that was really interesting. Is they said, well, what if we activated a different identity? What if instead of you know, interviewing them about how great Manchester United football is, what if we just instead activated the identity of football, soccer, like talked about the beauties of the glorious game and how much fun it was to cheer for your team, whichever your team was. In other words, they activated a broader identity. And would you believe that in that case, when they passed through, the person fell down, the percentage of people who stopped and helped the Manchester United fans was the exact same as those who stopped and helped the Liverpool jersey wearing people because a larger identity was, was understood, activated in that moment. The authors, uh, Babel and Packer, they, um, they're professors at Ohio State University. And so they, they found themselves thinking about, well, how would this apply in our context? Would it work the same in our context if instead of you know, Liverpool and Man U, if it was OSU and Michigan instead? And they're like, so what activity could we, you know, or what identity could we activate that would you know, hold them together? What if we interviewed them about the glories of Big Ten in football instead of OSU. Would that be enough to make OSU fans reach out to Michigan fans? And they, they're like, well, maybe. We're not 100% sure. Some rivalries go pretty darn deep. But the point is this, that we all have identities that get activated. And when those identities get activated, they shape who we respond to and how we connect. And this weekend in particular, I feel like we have in common an identity that gets activated, and that's being American. You know, it's, it's, it's all the flags everywhere we go. Like, I guarantee like, if you write 20 times, I'm sure one of your sentences will be, I am an American. And on this weekend in particular, that, act, that identity gets activated for all of us. And so as we're talking about blessing this month and what it means to be a blessing and to project blessing into the lives of others, I found myself thinking, well, what does it mean to project blessing on our country? To say, God bless America, because we talk about it, we sing about it, but what does it mean? And is it something that we as Christians, how do we say and understand those words, God bless America? So here's the pattern I'm going to take. I'm going to kind of an outline. First, we're going to talk about patriotism and the positives of patriotism. Then we're going to talk about propaganda and the pitfalls of propaganda. And then finally, we're going to take it into the Pentecost stories. That's a lot of P's. Positives of patriotism, pitfalls of propaganda, and then Pentecost. And how does it help us put this all together? And I want to say at the outside, this wasn't the sermon I was planning on preaching today. I actually had a different scripture text and theme picked. And then a member of our church, um, Mark Hilton, many of you know Mark, he sent me a book called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis not too long ago. And so on the day that I sat down to write this sermon, uh, on a totally different scripture text, I, I just happened to read through, you know, one of the opening chapters of the four loves, and C.S. Lewis spent his whole time talking about love of country. And I thought, well, it's Memorial Day weekend, let's do this. So, if you're not happy with today's sermon, take it up with C.S. Lewis or send hate mail to Mark Hilton. I'm sure he would love it. So, uh, so the four loves by C.S. Lewis. So he talks about this, and he says, you know, the love of country. What he was wrestling with in this, in this book, you know, the opening chapters of this book, is, is thinking about love of country and how that can both be healthy and diseased. And what, what's, what's the differentiation between when it's good and when it's evil? And he says, you know, the, the love of country begins in all of us with a love of home, the place we grew up in. 
not just the house itself, but the, the people, the institutions that lived around us, the way of life that we experienced and inherited. And, and you know, the a fondness and admiration for the language which we speak, even the local dialect. That's where love of home, love of country begins. And I thought, yeah, that's, that, that definitely resonates at this moment in time because, you know, not only are we kind of activating the identity here with, you know, America on Memorial Day, but if, for those of us who live in and around Indianapolis, this is a weekend where we really celebrate the legacy of being in Indy, right? Like, what do they sing before the race? Not just the national anthem, but we also sing back home again in Indiana. Like, it's, it's, that's, and what Lewis says is this is how love of country begins, with a love of home. And God uses this love of home to slowly move us from, you know, just loving our brothers and our sisters and the family we live with to loving our neighbors, to loving our region, to ultimately loving our country. And this love of country, you know, when, as, when it's fully expanded, it gives us, as I said, a shared identity. It gives us a shared set of values, for instance. Now, when he lists, C.S. Lewis lists the shared set of values, for him, he's British. And so they, it was funny, I read the list and I was like, I don't think I really resonate and connect with those. But for us as Americans, our shared set of values might be freedom, and democracy, or sense of inalienable rights that we have to protect, rights that are protected in our Constitution and Bill of Rights, but also rights that you know, are, are in, built into our Declaration of Independence, that life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those are part of our values. Or even kind of the sense of, I think we all share the sense of America as a, as a meritocracy, meaning that you know, no matter where you are, no matter where you're born, that we reward hard work and effort. You can, if you work hard and you dedicate yourself, you can lift yourself up. Those are all part, individual effort. That's part of our shared set of values as a country. And with that comes a shared story that we all kind of, and, and this is the part that I think in today's world is a little tougher because we're recognizing that the story of America isn't always whole, it's fractured. And, and we're, crying, we're realizing that we haven't always listened to stories, especially from those who come from marginalized groups, that their story, their view of America might be different. We have to make room or space for that. But even though we each have different stories, there is a shared story that kind of overlays it all. And particularly on this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, the story that we honor and celebrate is the story of sacrifice, a story of men and women who have made the ultimate sacrifice and laid down their lives to protect our freedoms and our way of life. That is a powerful, powerful story. And that story places on us a shared call, a responsibility to live up to the sacrifice they have made, to, to make you know, our, our own sacrifice on behalf of our country, on behalf of others. And, and, and Lewis says this is, in, in the end, the, the highest, the greatest good of patriotism is that it calls all of us to greater generosity and, and, and greater uh, sacrifice and, and, and greater commitment than we would ever, greater courage than we'd ever have on our own. So those are all the positives. But then Lewis kind of acknowledges there are times in which patriotism tends to lead us astray, where love of country can, can, can turn diseased or narrow. And he says, in particular, it's whenever patriotism tips over into propaganda. Propaganda defined as, as a tool that wicked leaders can use to justify wicked acts. And propaganda, I won't spend quite as much time on, but he, he says there are kind of three facets to propaganda as well. First, it inflates our sense of superiority, that we think we're better than those of other countries or nations, that we are entitled to the blessings we've received. 
That's the first problem with propaganda. The second problem, he says, is it papers over the sins of the past. It keeps us from seeing and acknowledging that people we have hurt along the way, and sometimes, you know, a failing to acknowledge even the problems of the present, that it feels unpatriotic to acknowledge that things are broken in, in, at times in our country. And then the last thing he says, the dangers of propaganda, is it fans our hatred of the other. And the other doesn't just have to be people of other nations. The other can be people within our country who belong to different races, ethnicities, religions, or political parties. It makes us distrustful of one another. And so spoken broadly, you know, a good and healthy patriotism, it connects us to one another. It calls us to an elevated way of living and sacrifice for one another. But propaganda does the opposite. It divides us. It makes us fearful and distrustful of the other. It undermines all the good that patriotism could possibly accomplish. And how do you tell the difference between propaganda and patriotism? Well, I'm going to leave that a little bit for you to discern. But I'll say this. I think every single one of us in our daily lives are exposed to far more propaganda than we wish to admit. We feel it acting upon us all the time. Whether as you listen to, you know, new voices from the left or from the right, all of us find ourselves pitted against the other. And that's gonna, where I'm going to bring it back into the biblical story. And before, to do this, I'm going to reference a, a letter I received about a year ago, last July. There's a friend of mine who's a retired pastor who sends letters to me and to others who are uh, pastors. Uh, I don't know, not every week, not, you know, maybe once a month or every two months. He calls them his view from the pew letters. He sits in his pew now that he's a retired pastor, listens to the sermon, and whenever there's something said in the sermon that kind of sparks a thought, he fires off a letter. And if you could look at these, there's very few capitalizations, a lot of ellipses. It's kind of stream of consciousness kind of thought. And, uh, and anyways, this friend of mine, even though... He and I don't share the same political views. I feel honored and blessed that, that he counts me as friend and I get the opportunity to count him the same. And on this particular day, this is July 22nd, 2022, I think he was writing, kind of reflecting on July 4th, and, and he said in church, the pastor had talked about the Tower of Babel. You remember that story from your Sunday school days? If you don't, real quick recap, it happened very beginning of Genesis, kind of prehistory, when history, you know, when people weren't even yet writing things down. And the prehistory story goes to this, that people had this idea that they wanted to build a tower up all the way to the heavens to prove their, their, their greatness to all the surrounding nations. And, and as they began building this tower, God began to worry. If people can build their tower so high, they'll think they're like gods. They'll, they'll, they won't need us anymore. And so then God sends uh, comes down one night while they're sleeping and he confuses their language so that when they wake up and begin speaking to one another, they can't understand one another. And ultimately they abandon the project and scatter to the four corners of the earth. That's the Tower of Babel. Anyways, my friend was referencing this story because he had heard it spoken quite recently. And then he had a quote in here. He said, so I think social media now is the current version of not understanding one another's speech. And I, after I read that sentence, I stopped reading because that just kind of bowled me over. This idea that, not that we don't understand what's on social media, but it's that we don't know the intent, we don't understand the intent, or we don't trust uh, 
the intent. It's so easy these days, in today's world, to just speak past one another, to throw stones at one another. It's, it, it's easier to judge than it is to understand one another's speech. Do you feel that? Do you have the sense of the brokenness, the fracturing of our community and fracturing of our identity? We're all children of Babel. And if we are children of Babel, then we need all the more the story of Pentecost. Because in the story of Pentecost, God undoes the curse of Babel. When the disciples receive the Holy Spirit and they pour out into the street, it says there are Jews gathered there in Jerusalem from every nation within, you know, under heaven, within the Roman Empire, in the known world. They're all gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, for the celebration of Pentecost. And yet, they each hear in their own native tongue the words of the apostles. And they, they say out loud, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Not, not just in the language, you know, uh, of, of Hebrew that they've all learned, but in our native language, the language that was spoken from the time we were infants, the, the language of our home. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Tanner, aren't you glad I didn't give you all these weird words, right? But the point is, is if, you know, if I could put up a map of the Roman Empire, you would see that this covers all the corners of the known world and they each hear the disciples declaring the wonders of God in their own native tongue. Babel reversed. And what do they hear them saying? They hear them declaring the stories and the wonders of God. And they ask, how can this be? How is it? And Peter stands up and says, so this is the promise of the prophet Joel, who said, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just on Jerusalem, you know, on Jewish flesh, not just on male flesh, not just on male property owner flesh, but on all flesh, all nations, Jew and Gentile, young and old, male and female, slave and free, all will have access to the same spirit for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone, no conditions, no modifiers, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I take you back to what I was saying at the beginning about the, that, that experiment with the Manchester United. As long as a narrow identity was being appealed to, people responded to the other in a very narrow way. But once we, you know, the, the, the researchers appealed to a broader identity, they saw that people responded to others more broadly, more generously. And here at the very beginning of the church, on its birthday, you see the disciples speaking a story that crosses every division, every nationality, every culture, every language and tongue telling the good news that God so loved the world 
the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, again, no conditions, no modifiers, whoever believes in him shall receive the promise, the gift of everlasting life. It's good news. That's the good news of Pentecost. And look at what the good news of Pentecost does to undo the evils of, 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 of propaganda. Remember, propaganda inflates our sense of superiority, but the story of Jesus, it dismantles our self-righteousness because it tells us that none of us is superior. The, you know, it's often said the, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all are in equal need of a savior of his grace and his mercy. Propaganda papers over our sin, not the story of Jesus. The call of the disciples was to call to confession and repentance. Yes, we can start again. Yes, we can be made new, but it comes by honesty and confession. Propaganda fans our hatred of the other, but the story of Jesus does not fan our hatred of the other. Instead, it expands our view of neighbor. That it's not just those who live near us, not just those who look like us, that neighbor includes everyone, even our enemies. For even those who have wronged us are people for whom Jesus Christ laid down his life. So every single person, every single person we meet is neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. And through Christ, they have the potential to be brother and sister. So can we say, God bless America? Yeah, I think we can pray God bless America and we can do so with a deep sense of thankfulness for the many blessings we have received in this country because it's all sheer grace, the, bless the blessings we have. And we can also say God bless America with a deep sense of thanksgiving for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, who've laid down their lives to, to make this blessing possible. We can, and we can say God bless America and we can echo the call that their sacrifice places on us to live lives worthy of the price they have paid. We can do all of those things. But when we say God bless America, I think we also have to pray for God's blessings to, to be poured out into every nook and cranny and cook corner of our country to all those who have been left behind and forgotten, who are missing out on the blessings that you and I take for granted, we gotta pray for God's blessing on them all. We have to pray for God's blessing on our enemies and pray for God to heal the divide that's taking place in our country, as Bob did in his prayer. We have to pray with humility, asking God to forgive us and asking God to help lead us to be better and ultimately, when we say these words, God bless America, we can't do it in a narrow sense that thinks that God's blessings, you know, that, is, or that our country is entitled in a way that other countries aren't. Because on this day, we remember we belong to a bigger story. That we are part of the people of Pentecost. And that is a story which transcends every tribe, every nation on earth. We bear the name Christian. And we share that name with people of other nationalities and races as well. So we are called to live in a way that God's blessings might fall upon all the earth. Our highest aim is for the kingdom of God. Thy will be done 
thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May we live in such a way that God's spirit, that we anticipate the day when God's spirit is poured out on all peoples, on all nations, on all flesh, to the glory and honor of God. That is the story of Pentecost. Amen. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Now, gracious God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this great country in which we live. We know she is not perfect. We acknowledge her faults and we ask for your continued forgiveness and grace upon us. And we pray, God, that you may continue to call us as a country and as a people to be a light, to be more generous, to be more kind. We pray, God, that you might heal the deep divides, the deep distrust that exists in this fracturing our society. Help us to listen, to honor uh, all those around us. But we pray also for your church, recognizing that your church is bigger than any one country, that you have called us and connected us to people around the world. And we pray, God, for your blessing upon people of every nation, every tongue. We pray, God, for the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for his promise. And we pray for that day when he will come again and heal all the brokenness and all the division of our world. May our hearts be set on your kingdom that we might live as a blessing, yes, here in our home, but a blessing to all the people of all the world. All this we pray in the name of your son, Christ Jesus. Amen.